So God, thank you uh, for uh, caring about us at all. Um, God, you know uh, where we were, um, where we were apart from you, and you know where we would be without you. And so uh, we're just grateful as we've sung these songs um, that we know that knowing you, there's there's no greater thing. Um, and yet, even as we talk today, uh, God, I, I know that um, there will be a sense of us missing the mark, of us needing to adjust our priorities and really redefine who we are. God, I ask that you work in us mightily today through your Holy Spirit and give us uh, the unction to be able to change and to be different. God, thank you for this opportunity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to the minor prophets, Malachi or Haggai, whichever one you prefer. It'll be in the neighborhood today. Um, but this morning, just to start out, I want to talk to you about uh, hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's what we're attempting to do here. And uh, we've been talking for a while as elders and pastors, and we've been considering, uh, most of you know the history of our church um, in recent history has been tumultuous to say the least, and uh, we realized that uh, we need to refocus and ask the question again, who does Christ want us to be? In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you don't have to turn there, but you can look later, there's seven churches and it's interesting that these are real churches. They were real places. And, and Christ had a specific message to each one of them. And uh, if you read through them, it's very interesting because it talks about uh, Christ's knowledge of the church, that he knew their works, he knew what they were about. And that he, as he knew what they were about, he knew about their city as well the place where they uh, were and the place where they were called to be his lighthouse. And then he talks about both the things that they're doing wrong as well as the things that he desires for them and is going to accomplish in them. And we really are thinking about that as we consider what Jesus has for this church right here. In John chapter 10... Um, We've gone over this quite a few times, and we'll go over it again. But in John chapter 10, verse 14, and the verses following, it says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You get this picture that uh, God's people are, are sheep, are sheep. And this morning, as we consider hearing the voice of our Good Shepherd, I want you to ask the question again, what does that look like for us? That if we are sheep, if we are sheep, we have a Good Shepherd, how does He desire us to be? What does He want out of us? And even as we consider this morning, that He desires for us to be part of His flock. There's not a sense of individuality here today. There's not a sense of 
us saying, well, I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I have this idea for this, or, but that what does Christ want for his church? As we think about that, um, I, I think personally, for me, and maybe you can ask yourself this question, where do you want to be? Where, where do you want to be? When, when it comes in relationship as, as you are sheep, I won't have you bad this morning or anything like that. Maybe if you have a real good one, maybe we can hear it later. But uh, practice, practice, practice. Um, but as you consider yourself sheep and you're part of the flock, where do you want to be as sheep? And I, I thought about that and I go, well, I got some ideas. I, yeah, do you know you have plans and ideas for the future? You go, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if, or wouldn't, wouldn't this be super if this happened or that happened? But most of us have a, a long enough track record of failure to know that your plans and dreams don't necessarily work out all that good, right? In fact, some of the very things that we have wanted, we've got, and it's not been good, right? And so I think about this. Where do I want to be? I want to be where the good shepherd wants me to be. If he says, hey, I, I want you to come and to be on this pasture on the other side of the hill. I want you to move. Where do you want to be? I want to be on that other pasture on the other side. Of the, if, I say, if the good shepherd says, hey, I want you to stay there. That's the best place for you. Where do you want to be? Right there. You want to be where your good shepherd wants you to be. You, you don't want to do your own thing. You don't want to be an individual. You want to be in the flock where he wants you to be, in the place he wants you to be. I think about often, uh, we're talking about direction this morning and emphasis and, and vision for the church, if I could even say that. Um, and a lot of times we think about uh, that for our country as well. A vision for our country, a new direction, change, and some people vote for change, and then they vote to change the change, and then they change that guy, and they change, you know, they, there's a sense in which, in our country, when you think about the direction of our country, we always say to ourselves, well, we the people, right? We get to decide. If we don't like where we're going, uh, we'll just vote, and we'll vote that guy out, and we'll get another guy in there. And if we don't like them, we'll do the same with them. And I just insert that in there to just say this, that is that how the, the flock works? <laughs> is, do we raise our, you know, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take you over that next hill to another pasture over there. Well, I don't want to go. Well, what, what makes you think that I should go? Who put you in charge? That's a good American, right? I'm not going until you explain to me everything. And then I'll decide. This is not the picture of the church. And, and, and this morning and really in the weeks to come, I, I want us to get the picture of, our, of us straining our ears, of, of us listening for the shepherd's voice. This isn't a sense of elders voting, congregation voting, kids voting, loudest voice getting their way. That's not how this is happening. But we're looking to hear what Christ would have 
for his church. I think in the verse in 1 Corinthians, it says, For you have been bought with a price. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor, God's with you, honor God with your body. You think about that, that bought with a price. You may ask the question, well, why don't I get my way in this church? Because you've been bought with a price. There's an ownership aspect to his church. And so we listen to our good shepherd. We look to hear his voice. This morning, just in- introing our time as we think of a direction for Bear Valley Church, I want to tell you that uh, this wasn't um, some kind of mystical experience where uh, we lo- went outside and we looked up in-, in the sky and we saw a-, a cloud that looked like a baby. And uh, th- there was no sense of um, a riding in the sky. But how we went about this is we prayed, and we prayed and we asked that that Christ would reveal to us what he would have this church to be about. And as we prayed, we talked, and then as we talked some more, we prayed some more, and we, we prayed some more after that, and then we hashed it over, and we prayed some more, and we prayed some more, and talked some more. And as we prayed and we talked, Certain themes came up over and over again, and that's what we're here to share with you and really talk about uh, where we need to be uh, listening to the shepherd's voice. Which brings us to uh, number one, and these aren't any any particular order. I just wanted to do this one first, and it's to rescue families. That we believe that Christ is calling us to intentionally fix our eyes on the opportunity of rescuing families in His name and as well for His name. That this is what we believe that Christ wants us to do. I want to talk to you about what that means and really maybe unpack for you some of the, the thoughts behind it and what that will mean for us as Bear Valley Church. I realized this morning there are no marching orders. We don't have any sense of uh, what this will specifically mean, but I want to get your heart and to, for you to understand what we're talking about. And then as we all understand, we can talk about it some more and what that will mean for the future. I want to... This morning, as I, I thought about what a family is, sometimes I, I think politically and in our nation, uh, we think about the attack on the family. We think about the attack on the family. And it's very, uh, sometimes we talk about it in terms of politically or nationwide movements. And I want to tell you this morning, I really don't care about those things. All I care about is what's happening right here and the opportunity that God gives us uh, here at Bear Valley Church. I think sometimes it's easier to get all worked up when we listen to the news or we read the newspaper or we hear some type of political jargon to get all worked up inside and to neglect the opportunity right around us. And this morning, as we look at the family, we're we're looking at it for us right here. By design, by design, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time explaining this because I think it's pretty obvious. By design, God made families the power and really the the influencers of the next generation. Do you understand that? That um, 
it's really quite simple. If you look at Genesis, what happened? You see Adam come on the scene. He's created. And, you know, as God looked at man, he said, oh, not good. Not good. God was the first one to say that, by the way. As, as women, you have said that maybe many times over about the men that you live with. Oh, not good. You know, but um, God was the first one to say it. And the, the, the thing that he said that was not good, Jacob, it was not good for man to be alone. He said it's not good, and so he creates Eve as his perfect counterpart. And guess what happened as they got married? Population. Kids. And guess what? That was God's design. It didn't just happen. This is really simple. I think in our world today, we get so sophisticated, and we're like going, hmm, I wonder if it's a good idea to have a father and mother and have kids. Hmm. You know, maybe we should challenge that thinking. And it, it, it's, it's not that complicated, right? Did you have a mom? Did you have a dad? Did, did, not whether they were good or... They, the, this is the, and guess what? It, it's an interesting thing as you look at grandparents are older than their kids. Okay? This is deep stuff, okay? You with me? Grandparents are older than their kids. And... Um, the parents are older than their children, and it's kind of that, you know, that little small people. And, and eventually, eventually, uh, people will pass on, and guess what? They'll usually have generations. And how does that work? It's pretty simple, isn't it? That this was God's design. I want to talk to you a little bit more about God's design for the family. The second thing, that was the first thing, that this is kind of his logical way of going about population and bringing about the generations. The the other thing I see by design in Genesis chapter 2, after he said that it was not good for man to be alone, uh, he said he created Eve and and she was to be to him. And as they they, they called Christ, or uh, as she was created and perfect counterpart, you, you see something happen that's carried on throughout the New Testament. It says, and the two shall be one. There'll be one flesh, one flesh. That God's design for marriage, I know we have some engaged people and people that will get engaged sometime and some people that have been married a long time that have forgotten and all those other things. That two, that two people shall become one flesh. That's pretty close, isn't it? One flesh is pretty close. It's not just, you know, having a roommate. It's not just having a buddy. It's not just two individuals coming together to share their individuality. It was the two were to become one flesh. And and let me ask you, who designed that? It was his original intention. This is designed from the very beginning. It doesn't get much sooner in the book than chapter 2, right? It was his design. It was his design. And, and this is his picture today of what marriage is to be. Not two people doing their own thing, kind of connecting at a meal here and there. 
It's not just sleeping in the same bed. It's not just uh, sharing parts and bits and pieces of life. It's one flesh. That's the picture by design. By design. The second thing, or really the third part of uh, what a family is, and this is Malachi chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Malachi chapter 2. When you think of the minor prophets or the prophets themselves, uh, it's a message from God to his people. And it's specific to a, a certain individual or group of people. And it's God's direct message to them. It's right, okay? And, and this is, most of the prophets, uh, it's displeasure. It's displeasure. God's displeasure on the way you're living, Okay? And as we look at Malachi chapter 2, there's something very specific. There's a few things that the God has against his people, but this is the second one. Verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards, meaning God no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say... Why does he not? What's wrong? God uh, is giving a message. The people are crying out. They're saying, what's wrong, God, with our relationship? What is the thing that, that is against us? What do you have against us? They're wondering. And God's going to tell them through the prophet. Verse 14, why, do, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and the wife of your covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of their spirit in their union? And what was the one God was seeking? We'll stop there. What's the big issue? Marriage. Marriage. There's a design that God has for marriage. And that design isn't something that's a creative thing. It's not something where, uh, hey, we just do whatever we want. But, but listen to this. What was, as God was speaking to his people through the, in, in the book of Malachi, through his prophet, he, he was saying to them, I want to tell you what's wrong. You've been faithless in your marriage. Been faithful in marriage. Faithless in marriage. And why? Well, look at the next two words. It doesn't seem to fit, to be honest with you. In my mind, I was looking for something different. But I hear the heart of our God. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. He desires, and it's his plan, it's his design, that parents would love him and honor him. And the product of that marriage would be godly offspring. It's not that you, uh, someone who can't have kids or doesn't have kids, that, that that's somehow wicked in God's sight. But it's that there's a connection from generation to generation. That there's a, a passing down, a passing down of faith. 
And you cannot decide for any one child, your, your offspring, what they are to believe. But in their parents, because of the bond of marriage, they should see the love of God. And as they see the love of God in their parents, it should be an easy match to their own life. Because God desires godly parents. And why is it so important, that marriage relationship? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. It's His design. Well, one other thing. In the book of Malachi, once again, chapter 4. I, I think about the book of Malachi and these really, this, this big issue of the family and, and I think sometimes we, we look at, what is your life about? What, what is the significance of your life? What does God have for you? And sometimes we think in terms of grand visions of things that he wants us to do. Uh, a leadership and organizations and ministries even within the church that would rise up and, and somehow be this huge blessing to God. Sometimes we look and we, we talk about uh, the importance that we have at our occupation and, and what great things we're doing. Maybe even the amount of money that we earn so that we can bless others with. And we say, boy, these grand things that I'm doing. And boy, wouldn't it be a shame if I wasn't doing these grand things. And yet in the book of Malachi, he says, I desire godly offspring. Your relationship um, is not what it is, and that's what I have against you. And then he says in the the last part, chapter five or chapter four of the book of Malachi, closing out the book, he says this: "Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." And what will he do? Verse six, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction judgment is coming judgment is coming but the way out of that is what fathers having a heart for their children and children in response having a heart for their father what's the big deal The big deal is this, that it is God's design that first of all, and primarily I would even say this, that fathers would have a heart, affection, and commitment to their children. That's supposed to happen there. And in response, really as a natural response, the children would respond to their father and, and treasure him and desire and have that affection for their father. This is God's design and intention for the family. It's not just in a sense of fathers. In this passage it says fathers, but the, the point is not exclusively fathers. And it's, it's that, do you get it? Fathers to the generation below them. There's that sense of uh, that there should be a natural affection and a priority of that next generation. And for mothers to see that and to say, this is our next generation. And you say, well, grandparents, for them to have a priority of their kids and grandkids. This is God's intention. 
It is not, you know, they're 18, get them out of here. I, uh, it's not a sense of, hey, I got a lot of things going on right now. But this is God's desire. This is his design for the family. As I share these things, um, do, do you know what happens when God's design doesn't happen right? Have you seen it? Uh, let me just say it this way. Bad stuff happens. Bad stuff happens when we don't follow his design for the family. Let's talk about rescuing then. If that is the family as that is designed, let's talk about rescuing. And maybe the first thing you're questioning is just rescuing them from what? What are we rescuing them from? It doesn't seem, in fact, in Tehachapi, in the suburbs, out in Bear Valley here of Tehachapi, it towns the village. I don't even know what this is out here. The outpost. Um, many of us have moved away from something bad, a bad environment, uh, a situation where we didn't feel safe in our family. Maybe you moved from New York or New Jersey, or just for you folks. Uh, but maybe you thought in your mind, "I need to change my location." I need to change my location because I was in the midst of something that I need to change my location and that, that'll be fixed. I, I want to tell you that, that sometimes we, we get around here and we say, oh, you know, it's just beautiful, it's peaceful, you know, I'm raising my chickens and just life is good. Life is good. There's nothing to fear here. And then I go to church and they're talking about rescuing families. From what? This is, this is what's so important. And, and we use the word rescuing because there is a sense of drama to it. As you think of rescuing, I, I think the, the way I would answer rescue from what, I, I'd call it the, the grand ripoff. The grand ripoff. Now, um, when you think of getting ripped off, uh, most of you think of like a sales uh, salesman of some sort trying to talk you into something. Car dealer, you know, used car salesman. You think of uh, maybe uh, you're listening to the radio and you hear something that sounds too good to be true or, uh, or maybe an infomercial of some sort. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm susceptible to a good sales pitch. I love it. I love it. I've sat through many a infomercials in my day, both young and old. And, you know, men's hair club and stuff like that. You, you go, I, my favorite one is on the radio. They, they'd say, you know, do you have poor self-esteem? Do you lack confidence out in public? You know, just get this new turf and you're going to be as good as new and whatever. And I, and I think to myself, hmm. I wonder what kind of arrogant jerk I could be if I really had a full set of hair, you know? I love a good sales, but I love believing whatever people tell me. And this morning, I, I want to tell you that, that there's an interesting dynamic when we're talking about rescuing families that um, if you say, well, who are you talking about? What are these families? I'm saying families of Tehachapi, 
the Tatchby area. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about me too. Because the very things that uh, they need to be rescued from, I'm still tempted with. I've been rescued from, and if I don't watch myself, and if you don't encourage me, and God doesn't do a work in my life, I could slip back into those things. The grand ripoff. And the way I define it is just simply this, that this ripoff is, is this, is thinking this one thing, that Jesus can be my second priority. Jesus can be my second priority. That that he can be second or even farther down on the list and everything will be fine. It's the grand ripoff. It's the biggest thing that attacks the family, the individuals in my home, the individuals in your home, your kids, your grandkids, yourself. It's that Jesus can somehow be the second priority. You know, um, sometimes we think about our life right now and we realize things are out of whack and uh, we think about our career and we say, you know what, my career is so demanding right now. We've got a big project at work. I'm working on a promotion and and i I, I got to put in a few extra hours and I realize that... that uh, I'm constantly pushing off the family, but it's just for a time. I got. I need. I, I need to provide for my family, and, and so I, I just can't do that right now. I realize it's it's priorities out of whack, but I I just got to take care of this. My career is super important right now. I'll get back to those other things. It's a grand ripoff because it says that Jesus can be somewhere down on the list. And that for right now, even for a time, that my career can be more important. Others say, when we look to our families, the kids that we have, the, uh, they're in school and they're, they're going about things. And you say, well, what, what's most important right now is my education or my kids' education. It's the most important thing. Because if they don't get a good education... They're going to work, where are they going to work in Tatchby? McDonald's. Some of you parents have dreaded and, and worried about your kids working at McDonald's. Maybe it was the gas station, or maybe it's no job at all. And you think in your mind, oh, if they don't get, a, the, if they don't get good grades, then they won't be able to get into the, the next class, and then they won't be able to get in that school, and then they won't be able to, and they won't be able to. And so my role as a parent is this. My foot stands on the back of my child so they'll get a good education. And this is what's most important. I wonder, and I realize this is uncomfortable because there's my kids and your kids sitting in our midst. But I wonder if we would ask them what's most important to mom and dad, what they would say. Would they say, um, mom and dad, the thing they care about most is me getting my homework done. You know, the, the, one, the one thing at our house that you will die from is not having a clean room. You know, the thing that uh, is most important to mom and dad is money. And if, if you don't have a 
good education, you won't get a good job, and then you won't have enough money, and then you won't be able to do this, and you won't. And, and this is what's most important. This is what's most important. And what happens? It's the great ripoff, isn't it? Well, because it's not true, right? Many times uh, you've gotten good grades and you've been overlooked for this job or that job, right? Just because you, you've done well or kept things clean, sometimes it hasn't worked out for you all that well. And what it's saying is this, that Jesus can be number two on the list or down even farther and somehow things will still be okay. Some of us think... Uh, when we consider our children, we say they're going to have a happy childhood if it kills them. You know, they're going to. And I'm going to do everything in my power so that they have a good childhood. And that's what's most important. Other times we think about uh, what, what will be important in our homes and we say, well, we're going to raise good citizens. They're going to volunteer with their spare time. They're going to uh, be involved in activities. They're going to uh, be kind to people around them. And, and this is what will save us. This is what will make our family what it needs to be. You know, um, other times, and this is mostly dads. I guess it's moms too, but I've never been a mom. Sometimes we look to sports and success, and, and we love it. We love it when our kids succeed in sports. When they get the game-winning hit, when they strike out the right person, when they get the most points in basketball, when they succeed in some way. And, and we, we're pretty close to cheating to get there, right? We're practicing more. We're going, okay, when that guy does this, you do this. Nobody knows about this, and it's almost illegal. But just do it. You'll win. There's a sense of drive and desire to see our kids succeed. And I just wonder, you know, is it saying that Jesus can be number two or somewhere farther down on the list? As I think about this, um, I ask the question as, I, as I'm unpacking this and I'm thinking about the struggles that we have around us. Do you know what this is called? You know what the particular thing that I've described to you is called? It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. It's, it's moving Christ away from his primary position of worship. And it's placing anything and everything or anything at all above him. That's called idolatry. Heard people say, you know, um, horses are my life. Baseball is our life. You know, uh, the thing I live for, the thing I live for is to go shopping. Uh, you know, the thing that I, we just die to go to do is is the lake or or to go riding or or whatever it is. What that's called is idolatry. And if you're wondering what we're seeking to rescue people from is various idols around us to rescue them from them. And you say, well, it doesn't seem like they want to be rescued. 
You know, when I think of someone rescuing, I think of someone drowning and they're going, help, help. And uh, you get a sense of them wanting to get in the boat. And yet in our culture, what I'm describing to you right now, some people are, are committed to their idols and they love them. They love them. In fact, sometimes they even make that, that, that suggestion to you. I would worship God, but that would mean me giving up my whatever. And yet, uh, maybe in a sense of this, that you, you know this, right? That, that these are not things that will ever satisfy, will they? These idols that promise so much, that's why it's called the grand ripoff, right? They promise so much, but deliver none of what they describe. If you want to turn over a couple of books to Haggai chapter 1, I want to share with you um, a little bit more of that. And it really reflects the urgency, uh, the importance of the way God sees our lives, the way he looks at us. The situation in the book of Haggai is that the temple lays in ruin. It's rubble. It's a pile of rocks, if that. And, you know, it's been burned, it's been dilapidated, it's been many years, and they've been back uh, into the city, and it still lays in ruin. And it's, well, let me just read to you. I don't need to summarize. Verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not that we won't do it. It's not that it won't ever get done, but it just hasn't got to be the right time yet. Then the word of the Lord uh, came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills And bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. Did you get that? Did you get that scenario? They said, uh, you know, we'll get to that worship of God thing, you know, this temple. We'll, we'll get there one of these days. You know, we know it's important, but we just the first priority I got right now is to take care of my own home. Take care of my own home. To n- not just get uh, even the, the idea of getting housing, but paneled houses. The idea of the decor and the, 
the idea of comfortable. And he says, uh, my house lies in ruin. The, the priority of the worship of me lies aside because you're busy with your home. I want to add to uh, the danger of this is that our own families can become an idol. That's the most important thing, that we care mostly about our family. And we forget that God wants to be number one in our family. He wants us to think of him first and to worship him in all things. This passage uh, strikes out to me because it says he busies himself. He busies himself. We 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 got so many things we got to get done. We got all these things that we're going. We're stressed out. We're stressed out from this and that. And we say, oh, we just don't have time. We don't have time. Our kids are busy. They got a lot going on. A lot of homework. A lot of sports. A lot of things. They got to make money for college. They got to do this. They got to do that. There's a lot of things going on. We we'd love to do those things. They're all good, but they just don't make that priority. Yet we busy ourselves with the things that we want to busy ourselves with. And God says, do you get the picture? I always find this interesting that I want to see God as neutral here, not blessing his people. It's that they plant and he doesn't bless it, so they just get the regular, what everyone else gets. But that's not what it says. What does it say? So they work really hard, and as they work hard on it, they turn their back and God kicks it over. So they bring the pile, you know, they bring the wheat and the things, and they, they get it all there. They go, we're going to be fine, and he blows it away. Why? Why? Because he's not their first priority. Do you get that? And as I think about families, I think, yeah, this is where we're at. Even even the term rescuing, it sounds kind of dramatic, doesn't it? Rescuing, you know, could be a reality TV show, right? We get a sense of drama to it. And you go, come on, Kevin, you know, we're just in touch for you, okay? Relax, you know. We're a little bit slower, we move a little slower, it's hard to get things done. We're just in touch for you. Why so dramatic? Real simply, why it's so dramatic? Because it's urgent right now. Right now, when you think about uh, the the children that God has blessed us with here in this church, and He has, He's blessed us with um, college students and high school students and even middle school students, elementary age kids, the little people, and we're going to celebrate that next week. He's blessed us. So, how long are they going to be young? couple of blinks is what it amounts to. You, you parents who your kids are grown, you know about this, right? You turned around and they grew up on you while you're turning around. And so, so when are they going to have that moldable heart where they look to their parents and adults around them to their church? When are they going to see, when are they going to have time to find that model? Now, right now. There's not a sense of, hey, wait, I'm a little busy right now. Can I get back to you in 10 years? 
you know, career's going, things are happening. You know, I, I just got some things, some projects. I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. There's a sense of urgency right now. And let me ask you this. So if they don't see the priority of following God in their parents and their grandparents now, what will they do by default when they become adults? They'll do exactly what you did. They'll find an idol or two and they'll enjoy it. They'll waste their life. And guess what? They'll raise other kids. We're into, and uh, you know, it just goes down. And you, sometimes we bemoan the fact of where our society goes, and yet we're unwilling to stop and take care of business now, to worship Him now, today. And this is what we rescue and we desire to, um, while the window's still open, before it's closed. This window of opportunity. Well, how are we going to do it? Real simply, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's our only answer. That's the, the message that we hand out. You know, there's plenty of other things we could talk about. We could talk about politically thinking right. We could talk about hard work ethic. We could talk about good education. We could talk, but none of those things compare to the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of them. And so as we look to our own hearts, the hearts of our children, hearts of our grandchildren, to our community here, we hold out and we rescue families, bits and pieces, or everyone. I want to point out something to you. um, You know this already. Um, Rarely does a whole family come to faith at the same time. But you know what happens it happens all the time. So um, there's this family and they're struggling. Nobody knows it. They move into a community and they run into a kid at school. And the kid says, hey, uh, you want to go to Awana? You want to go to youth group? Sure. That's be boring and lame. There's nothing to do. I'll go. They come walking in and they go, hey, something's going on here. Oh, the Bible. Never had a Bible. Somehow they get a Bible after that. It just flies out of nowhere. They come home with a Bible and they, they, they start learning and growing. And they, maybe someone cares about them, whether they be an adult or a peer. And, and the mom and dad are nosy, right? They're like, what's going on at that church? My kid likes to go there. That's weird. I never like to go to church. And then they come. And they start sharing and they meet other people with similar struggles. And what happens is they go, so how do you deal with these struggles? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then maybe one of the family members gets saved. And you know what happens? You know what happens then? Missionaries going into a far off land of their own home. I don't know what God does with that. I just know this, that now salvation has come to a home. Not that everyone is saved, but that God's blessing is on that home because we have a missionary there. And it's not that we have a missionary, it's God's person. He's changed their heart and it ends up in their home. This is how families get rescued. And I, I think I'm coming up with someone bril- something brilliant and stuff like that when I'm preaching and I'm looking at all of you. And I realized that you guys could stand up right now. I could point to a couple of you or point to all of you and say, 
So how has Christ rescued your home? And you'd say, oh, I'll tell you the story. It was back when. It was I'd done all these things. I'd tried all these different idols and I realized they were worthless. And so many, And then, boom, and then that happened to my... This is how we rescue families. It's been going on forever. It's been God's plan. The gospel. So what... So... They get the gospel, and what happens? New priority, right? Jesus is the only thing that matters, and he matters in everything. He matters in everything. So we hand the gospel a new priority. And not just that, not just that, but I want want you to get this. We bring them into the flock, the flock. Um, remember, we're listening for the voice of Jesus. And... Why do sheep stay together? You know, you know, because it's good for them. It's good for them. And why does the shepherd keep the sheep together? Because it's dangerous when they're not. In fact, can you imagine? This is God's design and intention that we would be in a flock. If you're visiting here today and you're not in a flock, you need to get in. That's a church, by the way. Sorry, Uh, that's church. It's people. And it's real simple how this all works. It works, you know, we're this pile of people. We're listening for the shepherd's voice. We're heading to the next hill. Stay there. It's safer there. Okay? He, we're listening for his direction. Someone comes, they're rescued from whatever they've been doing. And they're brought in. And then we talk about it. It's a beautiful thing when parents get together in the flock and they go, Bah. And the parents are, you know, they're banging at each other about their kids. And they're going, oh, bah. You know. It's a beautiful thing when parents come together and they say, we're following the shepherd. But I can't, I'm struggling with that little lammy over there, you know. And I'm struggling with that. And we talk and we, and we encourage you to follow the shepherd. It's a beautiful thing. It's his intention that we would be brought into the flock for our protection. Following the voice of the shepherd. Um, Some of you uh, may not have kids here today and you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. What's the big deal? Why is that so important over all other things? Why would Christ have this church be about that? You say, I just don't get it. Yeah, you do. Do you have parents? Do you have parents that taught you things about following Christ? Then you get it. You needed that. Have you ever, um, you know, if you're a parent here today, and you say, ah, oh, my kids are all grown up, and I just don't get it. Oh, you don't? Do you see your own sin reflected in your kids ever? Yeah, you do. If you're a grandparent right here, I, I want to ask you, do you care about your grandkids? If your grandkids lived in this community right here, would you want this to be a church that's about rescuing your kids and grandkids? Absolutely. So you do get it. And what I picture, what I picture God doing here in this place is this. Is that there's some people like myself that are up to my eyeballs raising kids who have kids who have, you know, I'm right in the midst of being family type, okay? And there's some of you that are, are just outside of raising kids. And you know what I picture? 
us being committed to that together. And for you to say, I, I made some mistakes. Don't fall into this trap. I, I picture grandparent types going, you know what? I'm concerned about my kids. You know a beautiful thing that happens all the time? Grandparents called Brandon. Grandparents called Brandon. I think that's beautiful. And you're going, why would grandparents call, call Brandon? Because they're concerned about their grandkids. And what, what, it, what it is, and this is the thing that we've been doing for a long time. And we're, not gonna, we're just going to focus on it, okay? We think that this is what Jesus wants us to do. Is that we would be concerned about generations here. That we'd be concerned about it here. But you know what's going to be interesting? Is as God works in our hearts... I think we're going to be concerned about rescuing our family members that aren't here. That we're going to get better at identifying it. You know what? Some of us don't have any time for it. Have you ever gone in the store and you've seen a single parent with, uh, you know, some demon-like kid running around? What have you thought? What have you thought? Tie him up in the parking lot. You know, get him away from me. Ah, they'd only do a good job. You know what you should think? Rescuing families. Rescuing families. You, you look in our neighborhood and you go, you know, you're down at the golf course and you see some kids running through the golf course and doing whatever and you're golfing and you're going, they're wrecking the golf course. You think, rescuing families. Rescuing families. This is our grand opportunity this is what uh, we believe that Christ is calling us to. Um, just by way of conclusion this morning, um, like, I, like I said, first of all, I just want us to have eyes for it. Eyes for it. I think that if you look, and you look in faith, you can see it everywhere. Everywhere, these opportunities that the Lord brings to us. Second thing I, I want to tell us is that we're going to have conversations and discussions and, and really um, just pray that God would continue to give us new opportunity to reach this community for Christ. Because the thing that they need most is to trade in their idols for the true and living God. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would truly be directing us as your church that your son Christ, the good shepherd, would be calling us and moving us as well as keeping us in places where we need to be. God, I ask that your um, the unction that comes from you uh, would be that which motivates us and uh, that this would not be a thing of our own pride filled with ourselves, that we want to make a great name, that we have done something awesome but that you would direct us and empower us and that you would uh, gain all the praise and honor uh, for what you do. God, do your work in our midst uh, and we'll thank you. We pray, pray, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.